Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Reading out of Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male and female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Day. Father, I pray your anointing upon your word and to anoint our hearts and minds to receive this day in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have been examining reconstructing your faith. It's been popular to deconstruct your faith, which is fair enough to take off certain things that have accumulated that really aren't biblical or correct. But eventually you have to reconstruct your faith or you end up faithless. We began by talking about the community incarnate, that there's something about being in the flesh. God comes in the flesh in Jesus Christ. The church meets in the flesh. Live stream is an alternative, but it is not um, the way of the church. We are to gather together. And that as we do, then inevitably offense is going to come along and be a part of that. And so how do we process that and deal with offense? Then last week, we were told that, that there's a calling, that we're all called out, that that's the name of the church is ecclesia, the called out ones, that God's called us out of the world and has called us to be different, that holiness is something we're to pursue, not holiness itself, we're to pursue God, and God says since he's holy, we're to become holy. So the closer we come to God, the more holy or more righteous that we become in the process. And I used an example last week that seemed to have caught a lot of imagination of my son's golden retriever um, that he had purchased last year and how this dog did not release something from his jaws that was unclean, a section of, a, of an animal that was already deeply deceased and wasted away. And um, so in the process, there has been some concern offered up and speculation in regards to Charlie, the golden retriever's spiritual condition. So I need to address that. Um, the dog was purchased by my son uh, last year um, to be a, a conduit for his proposal uh, in his engagement. And um, he wanted a particular dog, so this is a purebred, and he went to a, a place down in Ohio that was an Amish farmer's place, and they breed these dogs. So the dog was raised by Amish, therefore it is a Christian dog, Okay. <laughs> It was raised in a Christian environment and was baptized. No, I don't know. Um, but I had a friend that wrote to me after this, uh, caught with the illustration again, and said this to me. He said, there are four types of dog reactions 
to having something in their mouths. Again, I read every email sent to me because I read very fast. I answer none of them, okay? Um, just because I type slow, all right? I'll talk to you. I'll call you on the phone. I want to talk. I want to see your face, but I'm not going to respond to an email, all right? But this one was great. They said there are four types of dog reactions to, ha- uh, to having something in their mouths, and humans behave similarly, they wrote. One, the dog that growls and won't let go. Two, the dog that allows you to remove something without a fight. Three, the dog that runs away and buries the coveted thing, pretends to have given it up, goes, but goes back to it later. And then four, the well-trained dog that responds to the command, drop it. And the next command, leave it. Finished off by saying, I'm asking God to show me what I must let go of and to give me the strength to drop it and leave it in order to follow him more faithfully. I thought it was some great comments and responses. Today, though, we are crossing into another point of conversation, remembrance. And as we get into this, um, I want to break this down a little bit for you and the importance of it. BBC Radio 3, it's the United Kingdom's primary classical music station, ran a fascinating series of articles on music and memory. Adam Zeman, who's a professor of cognitive and behavioral neurology, wrote about amnesia and memory loss and their relationship to epilepsy. Zeman mentioned two patients of his, Peter and Marcus, who described their amnesia in very similar terms. One said, quote, my memory of my past is a blank space, and I feel lost and hopeless. I'm trying to explore a void. Both described how disconcerting it was to look at photos. Even though they recognize themselves, they have no recollection of the moment. One said that it's like, quote, reading a biography of a stranger, unquote. He's conscious of recent memories slipping away from him, like ships sailing out to sea in the fog, never to be seen again. Two things stand out in Zeman's essay. First, without memory, it's hard to cling to an identity. Without memory, it's hard to cling to an identity. So one of the patients said, I don't have the moorings that other people draw on to know who they are. I don't have that. So I don't know who I am. Second, it's hard to have hope when we do not know our past. Dr. Zeman explained, the inability to invoke the past greatly impedes their ability to imagine a future. Their ability, inability to invoke the past greatly impedes their ability to imagine a future. But I was also caught, so with that linkage to hope, but also with that link to identity. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture that we just read in Deuteronomy, it's an interesting passage. It's, it's, it's one of the few of the Ten Commandments that has a commentary attached to it. Um, you know, the portion that sits here and says, honor your father and mother, has a little commentary, so it might go well with you. You know, do this so you don't get hurt, okay? This one has the most extensive commentary, though, and it's the fourth commandment that's being offered. It's also important, I guess, because it closes off that section of four. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments at all, then you realize that they're ultimately about relationship. The first four, you'll have no other gods before me, no graven images, don't take my name in vain, remember the Sabbath. Those first four relate to our relationship to God, to how we relate and respect him. The next four, 
about parents and adultery and lying and all those, all those other things relate to how we deal with one another. And so it's two sections of four and six that these commandments, and while they are something to be commanded that are to be followed and obeyed, they're basically rooted and worked out within relationship, which is why Jesus said, I can sum up the whole law by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your brother as yourself. And everyone's caught back and say, yeah, you just summed it up. Well, this fourth commandment that closes off this first section has a commentary that almost none of the other commandments have. It's talking about the Sabbath day, and it's talking about how you take a break and you take a rest, that everything's supposed to take a break and a rest, your animals and, and, and all that's involved. And it goes even more detailed. It says, any foreigners residing in your town should chill out too. And then it says, and your male and your female servants. It wasn't enough just that a, a free Israelite could, could relax for that day, which was really unheard of in that time period. You worked 24-7 uh, that whole time in that lifetime. So this was a new thing. But it wasn't going to be a case where I could, as, as, a, as, a, as, as an Israelite um, farmer or master, that I could sit here and say, yeah, I'm taking the day off, but uh, you know that back farm over there and that field over there, and you guys go picking that and grabbing that. Go keep working, man. You just keep it up. I'm just going to chill here because it's kind of my religious thing, you know? No, it was to be something that everyone was to benefit from, including those that were foreigners, including those that were servants, they were not to sit back and, and say, this is for no one but us elite. It was for everyone. And then he makes a charge, and this is the commentary. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. In other words, he's saying, remember when you were in slavery. Remember how people lorded it over you and how they went to their religious festivals while you slaved away to do whatever it was and the hypocrisy between that and the distance between you was in that. This isn't going to be the case in our new society. So remember when that was the case. But then it goes on and says, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God's commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. It's not just the fact that you were in slavery. It's not just the fact that there was a, a space here, but you're also supposed to remember that you came out of that, that you were delivered from that. This concept of the idea of, of, of being brought out in Egypt goes way back into Exodus chapter 13, verse 3. Moses said to the people, remember this day. They're, they're coming out from, from Egypt, from slavery. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord God brought you from the, out from this place. And then he says, no leavened bread shall be eaten. Why? We're rushing out of town so fast, so they don't change their minds, that all we can take with us is the unleavened, the unraised bread. There's no time to let it raise. We're just taking that and going on out. Later, that becomes one of the baselines for the Passover meal. The Passover meal was something that the Jews celebrated and ate, centuries after the release from Egypt. It was what launched them out of Egypt. It was a, a lamb that was slain and its blood shed across the top of the doorposts and the sides. And, and because of that innocent blood of that lamb, the de death angel passes over that house. And so from that point on, they, they celebrate the great Passover when death passed them by, by the blood of this lamb that was slain. And as they're rushing out, they can't take this other type of bread, so it's, it's unleavened bread. So at the Passover meal, you'd have lamb and you'd have bitter herbs, and each thing had a meaning, but also unleavened bread and cups of wine. It was all part of the process. But the main thing was to remember this day. Don't forget what God has done for us in this moment of time. 
Ultimately, all this was to point towards Christ. We'll get there in just a minute of time. One thing I want you to realize is that there are 87 different times in the scripture where God is saying to them, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember when I brought you out. 87 different times worded different ways, some more subtly than others, some just blatantly direct. Remember, don't forget the time you were enslaved. Don't forget that this was what was taking place. Don't forget, 87 times. The Passover meal established that they would never forget it. Deuteronomy 4, 9. They were being taught later after the Exodus. They were being taught by God how to live, the Ten Commandments, but a whole lot more. And as they were being taught about God and what it means to be in relationship with Him, they said, be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children, to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, assemble the people before me, as Moses speaking, to hear my words so they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Remember the time that you came together before God and he was there and you encountered him. How could you ever forget that? Because we're human beings and we get distracted by all the little shiny things in our lives, all the pressures that bear down on us or even worse, all the great wonderful things we do and achieve that lift us up in such a way that we forget all these other things. You're saying, don't forget this. There's something in Scripture that is entitled Stones of Remembrance by most Bible scholars and stuff. Stones of Remembrance. There were, there were things that were to be marked down so that you would remember a specific time and it was something that was the most permanent thing they had for that time really was a stone. We did the same thing, frankly, when we established Rock Point. Originally, the name of this church was Sterling Heights Assembly of God. Nothing wrong with that. Back in 94, 95 actually, when we saw certain changes happening that we felt God was doing in us and we saw him change names in the scriptures, you know, um, you know Saul becomes you know, Peter and, uh, or Paul and all these other name changes that would happen uh, that God was doing. So we said, we want to change the name of the church. So we chose Rock Point for a specific reason. You can look it up on the website or wherever later on. And to do that and mark it down, we brought in what we referred to at that time as the Big Mama Rock. I don't know if you've seen it out there, okay? We brought that in, I think, from Dakotas or something like that. And we built a platform for it, and we established that big old rock on top of it, and that became kind of a statement. And Rock Point was good because um, Stewing Heights Assembly of God, if you work it out, S-H-A-G was a shorthand, and it was on all the stuff, and the baseball team was called the Shag Boys, things like that. Not cool, okay? Um, you're either related to a carpet, or later when Austin Powers movies came out, uh, not good. Not good. So we changed just in time, all right? RCC is relatively benign, all right? Rock Point Community Church. And underneath that rock, um, at the time that we did this, we all went out there and everyone had marked down uh, a sin that they felt, something pressing on them that they felt had been covered by the grace of God. And we put this into a container. We put it underneath that rock. And we celebrated and everyone left. And then later that night, I went back. I dug it up. I took all the ones. I tried to match them to the names, you know. I was somewhat successful. No, it's still out there. We marked that as, 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 as that point and that place. These stones of remembrance we see throughout Scripture to mark times 
that God moved in an individual's life. One of the first we encounter is in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16. Jacob is um, uh, struggles. He, he, he's sleeping on a stone, and, and God comes to him in a vision, and he begins to wrestle with God. And as he wrestles with God, he doesn't let go. And because of that, God honors in him a certain way and changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And he becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And he's crippled in the process. It's a lasting moment. And so when he wakes up from this the next day or when he comes out of this the next day, it says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, Genesis chapter 28, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he'd placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. There was a, a sacrifice of some type that was being <coughs> excuse me, offered in that. And this is the first stone of remembrance. He didn't want to forget that this was the place that, 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 that he struggled with God, and he named it Bethel, the house of God. And, and so people walking for centuries after that would come and worship at that spot, remember what, that, what happened to their ancestor, remember what Jacob had done in that moment that he had struggled with God and what came out of that. The next time that we see another stone of remembrance coming into place is going to be in a place called Gilgal. The children of Israel had been struggling for 40 years to find this promised land, this place that was going to be their home that they were going to own that was this wonderful spot. A good friend of mine who left the Detroit area uh, years back to take a job uh, in another state recently we had a text exchange, and, and uh, it, it looks like he may be returning to uh, Michigan, maybe not the direct area, but in Michigan. And so I'd, I'd, when I heard I text back, I said, I'm, I'm hearing from various informants that you are returning to the promised land. Is it true? Home, a place of identity. They'd searched for decades for this. Now finally they're there, and as they come up to the river, the River Jordan is running at full flood stage, and, and crossing rivers is a dangerous, deadly thing to do, especially with a couple of hundred thousand to a million people. Inevitably, livestock or people are going to die in the process. It, it's just part of what happens when you're having that kind of a massive crossing. But Joshua, who's taken over from Moses, is given some instructions from the Lord. And so he, he has the Ark of the Covenant gathered up by the guys. They're holding it by rods. And they're coming up. And as the priests step into the water, the water instantly di- dissipates. Whatever happens, blocked upstream, piles up, we don't know. It stopped, and it's dry land. A miracle happens. Not mud that they have to slog through, but dry, firm land. So they walk into the center of the river, and they stand there with that Ark, with the presence of God. And the children of Israel take the time and they walk across that into the new land, into the promised land. And then after that's happened, then while they're still standing there, he instructs them uh, at that time. says, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you'll camp tonight. These are river stones. These are stones that have been washed over with water for, for millennia. And they're smooth, they're unique, they're different than anything you're going to find on the shore. If you've ever seen a river rock, you know, some of those small ones we get, we skip them across really good. These were massive stones. And being men, they competed with one another to see how they could lift the I've got a, I've got a really bigger one, you know, and they do that until somebody blew a gut out, you know. And they take them off to the shore and they stack them up as an altar. History point. If, if on the atrium you look, you'll see in the far corner there a copper structure. And you'll see stones in matrix. 
and you'll see water when it's working right. You'll see water flowing over that when it's been turned on. And what that goes back to is when we, re, when we redid the church and we um, built the, the atrium and the concourse, everyone that day when we dedicated it came and brought a stone. And our artists took those stones and put them in matrix with water flowing over it to represent the church in matrix together, but with the Holy Spirit flowing over, shaping us, smoothing us, changing us. That's what it means to be part of a church. That you deal with offenses. You deal with difficulty, but you also celebrate joys and you're smoothed and shaped in the process. So they take these smooth stones and they go on the shore of, of, of the Jordan there and they stack them up as an altar. They mark them as something to be remembered so they would not forget what took place. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, explains that, quote, in the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. This is where a miracle of the Lord occurred. This is where something incredible happened. So not only at Bethel, but at Gilgal, you'll see the stone and the people remembered and they recalled and they marked those moments that God intervened in their lives. How many of you have ever seen the movie or the play A Christmas Carol? The rest of you, you need to round out your cultural understanding. Okay? But I'm sure you must know the story. Maybe you read the book. Maybe you heard something. Just tell me you didn't watch Bill Murray and Scrooge. That's all. Don't do that one. Okay? But, but, but it, it's a classic tale. And if you remember the name of the primary character, what's his name? Ebenezer Scrooge. Where did Dickens come up with a name, Charles Dickens, come up with a name like that? I mean, what, what kind of name is, is, is Ebenezer Scrooge? Dickens gave it to him for a very specific reason. And it's related to this next passage of Scripture and this next stone of remembrance. The Israelites are having a battle that they can't win by normal means, it seems. But supernaturally and by the power of God, they win this battle and they destroy the enemy. It's an incredible victory. There's a guy named Samuel. He's the last of the judges or the prophets that are ruling Israel before kings began to take power. And also they're directly hearing from God and Samuel leads them in this. And after the victory is done and everything's completed, then it says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer. Why? Because he saw the play. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer means stone of help. It means stone of help. So you want to say, thus far, the Lord has helped us. In other words, we don't know what all is going to happen in the future, but he's, he's been here for us. We're marking this and we're naming it as an Ebenezer, the stone of help, the time when God helped us win over the enemy. It is thought by some that Dickens, you know, would have said that the help given to Ebenezer to change his life was the reason why he named it what he did. We don't know for sure what the Dickens he was thinking of. But that appears to be what would have been the case. And so we have this third stone of remembrance, a time when there was a wrestling with God, but a transformation occurred in relationship. 
There would be a time when we're entering the promised land. It doesn't seem we can cross this impossible barrier without death, but God provides something miraculous, and so people cross over, and there's no loss, there's no death, there's success. We're a time when the enemy's hard-pressing, and we can't seem to win, but, but the Lord's there for us, and there's something that occurs in that time, and so we mark that. This song, incidentally, or this word, incidentally, Ebenezer, is in an old hymn that, that maybe you've heard of, and you sang it, and you had no idea why you were singing. You thought, why the Dickens is Charles' thing written into this song? It's come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. They call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by the flaming tongues of angels above. Praise the mountain, I'm fixed upon it, the mount of God's unchanging love. And then here's where it gets weird. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here I raise my stone of help. Here I raise my Ebenezer, my memory marker, my stone of memory. Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Then the third verse is incredible. Look it up. But the song is rooted around these stones of remembrance. You see, if you're really going to reconstruct your faith, you have to go back to those points of remembrance. The moment that you first received Christ Did you raise a stone of remembrance? When you were baptized, when you wrestled with an issue before God, coming out of slavery, the time that you were rescued from your sin or from an addiction or from something that you had in your jaw so powerfully that nothing could release it, but God's grace released it and you were cleansed and freed. Don't forget when you came out of Egypt. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, and then say it 80 more times. 87 times, don't forget about Egypt. Don't forget that you were rescued, that you were brought out. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, one must train the habit of faith by making sure that some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time every day. That is why daily prayers and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It's something that we have to reclaim. Another psychologist who was dealing with a very severe case of amnesia, the guy could not remember anything past 1945. And this was in the 70s when this doctor was engaging him. So this guy would look in a mirror at one point and be freaked out because he's seeing a 35-year-older man than, than what he would understand his memory. It was short-term. He'd greet you and then two minutes later forget who you were. And so it was constantly over and over and over again. And this one psychologist, in referencing it, said this. He said, I had never encountered, even imagined, such a power of amnesia, the possibility of a pit into which everything, every experience, every event would fathomlessly drop. The staff at the home spoke of him as, quote, a lost soul. Without memory, we are lost souls. You see, in the Bible, memory is much more than cognitive recall, such as recalling a data point or a history point or where you lost your keys. In the memory, Bible includes the mind, but it also includes motion and the will. If we have no memory, we are adrift. Because memory anchors us to the past, interprets the present, and charts a course for the future. 
Remembering the past plays a vital role in the identity of any nation or any people group. Any society, sociologists claim that any society aspiring to endure must become a community of memory and hope. And that's who we are as a church. Not just a community of faith, but a community of memory and of hope. We are ones who have received grace. Do you have those stones of remembrance? Maybe they're physical. For me, this one was from Jerusalem, and it's a unique limestone that immediately takes me back to Jerusalem. This one's from a place called Wadi Rum. It's in the country of Jordan, and it's a desert experience that was incredibly powerful for me. And, and, and it's amazing, because on here is actually written Wadi Rum, 2019, May. And I just picked it up off that. No, I marked it that way. This is Prague, 2017. It's a cobblestone. I'm stealing Europe one rock at a time. And then when we were in Russia during the fall of the Soviet Union, when the hope was so high, I was in Moscow when they were tearing down the, the statues of Lenin. And we thought, finally, this whole threat has ended. Finally, people can live in peace. We walked down to where they were in the barricades with the tanks still in the street. And they piled up the cobblestones and I took a portion of one of the cobblestones and I marked on it, Russian Revolution, 1991. I remember when the hope was high. I remember when people did brave, powerful things to overthrow something that was dark and ugly. And there are moments in your past that you have also overcome things. There are moments in your past that you remember when God did something great for you. There are moments in your past when you will have wrestled with God and saw something come out of it and you may have been wounded in the process, but you were renamed by it. Those stones of remembrance may be physical for you that you've marked and set aside and put somewhere where you can go to. They may be a journal entry that you need to go back to that entry and look at that again. It may be a scar that's on your body. But it's going to those stones of remembrance that make us a community of memory and of hope. It's in those moments in time and in those places where God restores us, where we rebuilt Early today, I had a moment I didn't expect. As the team was rehearsing, and Ryo was singing the last song that you're going to hear in just a moment of time, not the last song you'll ever hear, just for right now. And, and I wanted to come in and hear it, but sometimes if I come in and sit, I know it makes them all weirded out, like, why am I sitting in an empty sanctuary staring at them? So I, I started walking around, and I started walking around as the song was just hitting me, and I began to pray as I was walking the aisles. And then it suddenly hit me like a power blast. Last time I did that was two years ago when the pandemic hit. And this place was empty. And we began to stream, and that was the only thing we could do. And there were no more than 10 of us in here, just with a small, tight band, some technicians, and two or three of us. And rather than stand here during the worship time, two or three of us as pastors just walked here praying for you. Just praying through each of these places here, and it hit me. 
that, that dark, horrible time, that immediate time after that, I was hit, though, by the faithfulness of people in that time, by where God has brought us to where we stand here today, outside of that moment, liberated and free. Those times of remembrance bind us together as a people. They draw us in. And it's something that we should never forget. And so this morning, we're going to take communion together. So appropriate. Why, you ask? Are you serious? Oh, gosh. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 35. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, unleavened bread. This is the Passover meal. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? There you go. I knew you were here. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. If you're struggling with your faith, if you're in the process of reconstructing it, you've got to go to those stones of remembrance in your life. If you're still processing those things, that's okay. There's something God would have for you. In a moment of time, we're going to have communion together. And our communion is an open communion. You do not have to be a member of this church. You do need to be a follower of Christ. So if you haven't made that decision, if you have no memory of God to go back to, then just be free of this moment and continue to receive from God. Or maybe in this process, you recognize your sin and your awareness and something stirring in you by God's Holy Spirit to having you realize that you need to come and surrender that to Him. That this could be, in fact, your moment of being restored. If that's you, then take the moment Realize that, that this Passover meal that was celebrated so long that turned into communion, not because it turned into something, but Jesus says, this is really what it was about. It was me. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm the one slain so that my blood gets spread in a way that, that the death angel passes over you. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you're unrighteous. But you can take on my righteousness if you believe and have faith and repent of your sin. If that's you, you can join us today because that was us. That was us. And so we come to the table of communion. And we come and we remember just how stupid we have been in our lives. Just how much sin and absolute ridiculous idiocy that we have achieved. And if that's all it was, remembering how we were slaves in Egypt, then this would be a really dark moment. But the scripture doesn't stop there. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt 87 times. But along with it, it says, and the Lord brought you out of there. We celebrate communion as a stone of remembrance. We recall how God's grace shattered us, but also restored us. Of the times we've wrestled with him, of the times we've crossed into new lands with him, of the times there's battles that we could never have won on our own. He showed up. This week, as you go on, take time somewhere to look back, to remember what God's done in your life, those points, 
And as you go forward, mark those stones of remembrance. Mark those times, a journal entry, a, 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 a piece of rock, whatever it may be for you. Mark those moments for future times that you'll need. Consider these things. Process it. The altar is open for prayer afterwards, and there'll be those up here to pray with you. And if nothing else and all this else falls away from you, at least go and see the play at some point. And then just sit there and ponder Ebenezer's life was changed because of the help that was provided by him, for him. Our lives have been changed too. And yours could be as well. Father, this day we raise our Ebenezer's. We raise these stones of remembrance because we've come this far by your help. And Lord, you have been faithful. In all the time you've been faithful. So as you continue this process of reconstructing our faith, God, let us have a firm foundation to build upon. Guide us, lead us. Let us process this stuff as we walk about throughout our week. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen, amen.